Thanks, Christy. Oh, good morning. How are you? Good. We, uh, my name is Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're new, we're glad that you joined us today. If you have any questions, like Christy said, you can come to us or you can even come down to our welcome lunch and kind of hear a little about who we are, where we're going, and what we believe. Uh, we're right now currently in this series on James. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I love the book of James. And, and if you've been with us kind of in our journey, one of the most important things to realize with James is that he's, he's writing as a, a pastor to his church. These are people who he's been in the trenches with. These are people who are uh, being driven out of their cities and going to other cities because of persecution. He is seeing his church under attack, and he's trying to encourage his church. Hey, listen, uh, uh, to be a people of God, this is what it looks like. I love it because it's really practical, but in a sense, James is trying to tell them that when you became a believer, your life will begin to change. Everything you do, will, you will probably do differently. How you approach life or how life approaches you, you will handle it differently and as we should. So la the first week we talked about James is encouraging them in chapter one. You have to see your circumstances as different. Troubles come, persecution comes, if you've ever felt that. But you have to look at that as an opportunity to pass a test. A test in the fact that, like, you know what? I, I, whatever comes in, it's my perspective and my hope and my faith that helps me endure. The, the second week we talked about you have to see others differently. This is difficult in our culture because we are so quick to judge just by appearance. We're so quick to judge just by status, or we're so quick to judge just by even maybe what somebody drives. And James is saying, not, that doesn't belong in the body of Christ. Like, we are all one. We all need the love of Christ in his path that he's provided. And then last week, we talked about we need to see our faith differently for what it really is and how we embrace our faith, and what we do with our faith. This week is going to be a little bit more simple, you might think, but if you're getting the clue that James's book is really, uh, I think, pulling things out of us, and pulling things that don't belong out of us, this week is one of those that James, in the middle of this text, there'll be 12 verses, he says something is impossible with man, but only God can do it. And when everything else, it hasn't seemed to have been that way. This one, James takes a very practical thing we do every day and says, you cannot conquer it. You need God's help. And so he's going to help us in his church and our church today do that. James, this will be James chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up starting in verse 1. We'll go through 12. This is the power of our words and the potential of their danger. Listen, I... I don't know about you, but does anybody like ever regret things that they say <laughs> and you can't get it back and in the heat of the moment it comes out and you're like, oh no, and it's like a dagger and you're like, oh, that's going to hurt them for a long time and then I'm going to try to repent and it just won't and it, I'm telling you, if you're in a relationship, you know this well 
is like you can be in the heat of the moment. You're trying to win your argument if you're like that because you're right. And so you're trying to win your argument and then you say something. You're like, why did I? Why? Oh, no. This Because what was a small thing, if you've ever been there, now becomes a gigantic thing. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Now I'm in the corner. Now I'm backed against the corner, and I'm going to have to get my way out of this, right? Your words are powerful. I'll tell you how powerful they are. By you calling out on Christ, and if you confess that he is Lord and repent of your sins, this is heart and word together, you, you, you are saved. You are reborn. You are grafted in. You are brought into the kingdom of heaven by your words and your heart speaking them out. That's how powerful words are. I think about when I was a new Christian, and I think about if, you, if anybody's newer in their faith and you've lived a certain way, then you become a believer. It's a radical change in your life. I listed out just a few things I remember me, me myself encountering, which was I definitely had to change my priorities. No longer could I, could I do the things I was doing, and, and I was doing things that do not belong in any, any Christian setting. So I realized, okay, my priorities have to change. How I'm, how I'm spending my time begins to change. All of my friends were weirded out, and, and I think you know this, my friends were weirded out because they thought I had joined a cult because now I'm carrying a Bible, and I'm going to church, and they were just like, what has happened to you, and how do we get you back? And they tried, but they couldn't do it. You change your friends. I mean, I, I never say leave your friends because they're the greatest potential for uh, opportunity to witness, but influential people who lead you astray, you change your friends. You have to. You change your behaviors. You are no longer that person who was this. You are now someone trying to follow Jesus. And I tell you what, if it was difficult for the disciples to do it, at one point, had they been following Jesus, Jesus himself for a year and a half, and they're still calling down fire to kill people, okay? Like, they, they had not changed their behaviors quite yet. And then you change your life direction. Some of you, just because of your faith, your entire life, has changed. You maybe met somebody who was also of that faith, and you, and you started a life of that faith, and you've changed maybe even your career. Christianity just, it just calls for rebirth in every area, and it calls for it in our speech. Our speech changes as well. I'm not up here to say, well, you got to watch those curse words. This is not what this is about. Um, this is something greater. This is a way that our inside heart is communicating to the world, right, what is on the inside. And what comes out of your mouth should be informative to you uh, of regarding, regulating how full is my heart of faith? How full is my heart of the Spirit? How much is my heart aligning with Jesus? Because your mouth will tend to reveal it in our life. When I was new to faith, I became a Christian. I, I had a sailor's mouth, and I just really, really loved using uh, all the words in the vocabulary, <laughs> everything, and I was good at it, and I, and I was able to use them fluently in any situation, and I was gifted. I had, a, I had a real problem, though, and I was very, like, waiting for an opportunity, and I could be very cutting, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, anything for the laugh 
was really kind of my way. And I remember as I became a Christian, I would have nightmares about like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in church and I'm going to be talking to somebody and it's going to come out. Were you like, like, it's going to come out. And I would have nightmares about it. And and I was like, it's going to come out. I know I can't control myself because I was so used to it and fluent in speaking a certain way. And I struggled so hard. The first time I ever got asked to speak a sermon was to fifth graders. Oh my gosh. And I was like, these fifth graders, and it's going to come out. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so worried. I was so, so worried. My first sermon at the very top, I type out all my messages at the very top of my first sermon. I wish I still had it. I, I put, do not swear. <laughs> it was tough. It was hard. These little fifth graders going home, telling their parents what they learned in church today, how to use that word. And so it was just a struggle because I realized like, I wasn't, didn't have my mouth under control. I was in the process of God renovating my heart, but I wasn't aligning to what, it, what, what, what the power of my words really were quite yet. And so I think that's what we're going to do today. I think some of us can get a little too casual with our speech, but you have to remember your mouth is letting people know what you believe, who, who, how much transformation is truly happening. I don't think you should walk around and be a little saint. I have people in my office all the time, and they'll say a, a cuss word, and they'll be like, oh, is that allowed here? I'm like, you can't even imagine what's been said in here. You're fine, right? So if you ever feel that way, I'm always like, you're good. It's not, it's, it's not what I'm gauging you on. It, there's so much more than just these surface things. It goes so deep to really what is your faith saying? How are you treating other people with your words? How are we treating ourselves with our words? So let's pray and we'll get into it. God, we uh, ask for your direction and in, in your guidance through this text. And God, what a simple message, I think, even in my life, I've heard so many times about this, God, but help it not go past us. Help it dig deep into our heart that it's transformative. And God, for us in here maybe who have been loose and careless, um, God, that we can see that maybe we have to work on the heart more, and we need to lean into you more. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, Taming the Tongue. It's a weird phrase, and we don't think about taming the tongue, but we are called to do it. You know the old phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? You know those. But guess what? You found out as you were saying it with tears down your eyes, like, your words don't hurt me. And then you would be wounded for years, right? And you realize, oh, that's a lie. My bones will heal. But that, that wound, that, that poorly timed word or that disapproval of the parent at this time in a harsh way made me insecure, made me feel a certain way. A a properly placed destructive word can actually alter someone's life. That's how powerful they are. We've all been changed by words in our life. Teachers have changed our life by the words that they've given us. I had a coach once who just told me, you're really good at doing this one thing when you play. And I was like, great. And it was just jumping and grabbing a rebound. That one word, 
I didn't care about anything else. I was going to jump and grab the rebound. And I broke every school record by just jumping and grabbing rebounds. And they're like, maybe you should shoot. And I'm like, no, 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 the rebound. One, one word, one thing made my whole life change. Your parents change your life and you as parents change lives with words. I, don't, I know as a parent what it's like to lose your cool, okay? I get it. Do not walk out of here and feel like, well, I guess I've ruined my kid's life. Thanks for the sermon. It, it's not that. What I'm saying is it's a reminder that our words matter and we should regulate them as best as possible. A guy in the church told me once when he heard me giving my, one of my kids a sermon, which is what I do. So he was like, hey, hey, guess what? And he's a great trusted man in the church. He just said, why don't you just listen more and when use your words when they really, really matter because you're not going to beat it into their head by doing a sermon to them. I was like, oh, okay, he's right. And I could see it. I was like, let me get my notes out. Guess what? You're hearing a sermon. Like, so it changed the way I thought about even parenting. My words matter so much. Mentors have spoken words in your life. A random comment on Twitter can change a life, positively, maybe even negatively. We've all changed other people's lives with our words. It's easy to think of ourselves as how we've been victimized, but remember accountability to the words that we have given other people, our kids, our friends, our spouses, etc. And if there's things like that that God lays on your heart, go mend Bring healing to the words that were delivered. Let me tell you how important words are. Proverbs is full of warnings about your words. I'll read a couple of them. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, this is my problem. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And when we find ourselves just going on and on and on and saying lots of things and we have to talk about something because we have nothing else to talk about and then we end up talking about people because we're bored and we want to feel interesting. No, none of you. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> words, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips or his speech is prudent and wise. It's hard sometimes to sit back and refrain when you can get a temporary boost from being able to slander somebody or make yourself feel better or point something out of othering someone else by making yourself feel like, yeah, see how I've chosen good and they've chosen bad? It's hard to restrain. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Oof. This is like a mean tweet. I, sometimes I think about people who tweet and I think like they have crafted that perfectly. Like, <laughs> this will kill them. Like they think this word's going to hurt them. And they try. It's like that thrust of a sword. It's the mockery or it's the being able to cut somebody down just when their head might be lifting up, right, for our own game. But Proverbs says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If we are not bringing healing to people's lives with our words, what are we doing where we might be thrusting swords? Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. See these contrasts that are happening? These are very good to hear because they tell us how powerful words can be and how opposite they are when they're handled either with wrath or anger or healing. 
Proverbs 16, 28. The dishonest man spreads strife in a, in a whisper separates close friends. Many of us have been in that scenario. Why is, why is Solomon writing these things? Why, if you read Proverbs, you, you, will just, you can track. This is only a few. There's so many about the warning of your words. Not to be super religious about it, like, well, I only say, well, that person's amazing. No, it doesn't mean disappear as a person. It means be wise about how we are choosing our words. They also reflect what's on the inside of us. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise, oh, this is going to be tough. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. I know we love those humble brags. I know we like, uh, had this kind of day today. It was crazy. It's crazy being a parent. It's crazy. Da -da -da. But I just managed to get through it. And everyone's like, clap, 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 clap. And you're like, I know. No. <laughs> Let it not be. Let others brag about you. Let others see and acknowledge because they're seeing the truth and acknowledging it. When we have to do this for ourselves, we're not relying on our identity in Christ. We're relying on the words of man. Proverbs 20, two more. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent uh, to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. I, I, I don't think I've ever lost my temper except for one time with AT&T Mobile. I had a moment, and they were mischarging me, and they told me, sorry, we have to finish, keep charging you this. And I said, this is a mistake. You made it. And they're like, yeah, but you're going to pay for it. It infuriated me. And Anna had never really heard me lose my mind. And I lost my mind. This is several years back. And she said, that's not like you, and that's not good. And I was like, I know, but that person who doesn't care about my account or me had to pay. <laughs> they needed to get my full vent. But what it did is it, just, it destroyed, I think, something that I work hard on. And, and, um, and I just needed to be wise and quietly and hold back and then, let, and then give it to God. We, we fall, we make mistakes. It doesn't say this is who I am. It just says that I decided to access that dark side that God is constantly working on inside of me. Proverbs 29, 23. Here we go. This is probably why he's saying all of it. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. This comes to an ego and a pride and an issue, I think, when it comes to our words, where if we are humble and we maintain that, You'll be honored for it in your relationships, in the life around you, and what people even say about you. You hear the pattern, right? It's very clear. Your words reveal your heart. Everything he's saying is a fool does this. A wise person does this. This is what's in their heart. And it reveals and it manifests in a certain way. Your words reveal your heart. And they bring life and they bring death. I don't know about you, but I want to try my very best to be a life giver. Yeah, I've got things that populate in my head and thoughts when I want to make a comment, but it's like, but is that going to give life or is this going to breed death? It's so hard to do it, but James 
is going to call us to it. He wants his church to evaluate themselves and their speech. And here's how he's going to do it. One, in, in his statements, he's going to be asking a question for them to reflect on. How do you represent God's word? That's his first thing he's going to start off with. How do you represent God's word? How do you speak on behalf of God? I've heard some people tell me, uh, in the name of God, some things, or try to justify something in the name of God, I'm like, you should not represent me. Please do not. I am a Christian. That's our household name. Do not talk like that because that's not what God thinks or says or how he even uh, expresses himself through scripture. So I, I personally have a hard time when someone absolutely clearly misrepresents a Christian. And he says, listen, James 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged at a greater strictness. Now, I would like you to know as a church, I hold this passage extremely serious. Uh, I try not to be casual with the scripture as much as possible. I am not perfect, but I do believe that, that God will hold those who are trying to instruct and teach others. Even if you're leading a Bible study or discipling somebody, he will hold you to a greater Strictness, right? Even consequences for what you do. I hate what's happened in the church um, throughout, really throughout history, but really throughout modern history of uh, people who are teaching the Bible, representing God's word, and, and absolutely abusing the church and abusing people. You, can, you, you read it in the headlines, and it, for, for many of us, it's like, oh, man, like, as a fellow pastor and a pure to some of these people, I'm just like, why are you doing this to us? Why are you making pastors look so bad because of the way you're teaching, the doctrine you're teaching, or the way you're behaving? I've listened to some churches, and when I was in college, there was a church that the pastor had a new revelation. This was a big church, 3,000 people. He had, I wasn't going here, but I'd known it at the time. He had a revelation. Guess what the revelation was? We should have concubines. <laughs> and he taught it. The church didn't last long. And I don't think he got any concubines. But what is going on? How can you handle scripture this way? What are you doing for your own desire? It's important that we never, ever, ever, ever weaponize scripture for our own means. This is powerful. God spoke this word. And when we speak it, it has power. So we can never twist it and manipulate it for our own gain. It's like the parent who is abusive to their child and their child stands up and they say, the Bible says, obey your mother and father. And you're like, excuse me? I think you're absolutely abusing scripture for your own gain. We can never, ever do that. And as a teacher, I want, I want to hope to never mislead our church scripturally because it matters. History is just so sadly full of it. Matthew 18, Jesus is asked by his disciples because they're still struggling. They're not fully embracing what Jesus is teaching them. And uh, so give yourself a lot of room because if these guys were with them, they asked, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Tell us. We want to know. And they're arguing like, I'm going to be the greatest. Look at me. I, you know, like it's, it's insane what's happening. And I can't imagine God looking at them and going, are you serious? Like, are you serious? 
You're squabbling over that. He says, oh, no, 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 bring me one of these kids. If one of these kids here, if you can be like one of these kids, then you'll be the greatest in heaven. And I'm sure it broke their brain because how kids were treated back then, they weren't like they are now with helicopter parenting and even bulldozing parenting. No, 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 no. They were just uh, uh, afterthought. They were discarded in history and antiquity. All over, you can't read about it without it being just a horrific thing that's done to children. And he says, if you can be like one of these kids who's, who's open-hearted and willing to connect with others without judgment, and somebody who is, will take leaps of faith when you have all these doubts, then you can be the greatest in heaven. And then he says, and by the way, anybody... And this is why I, I, I feel like some of these pastors, they don't realize what they're doing when they're misleading their churches. Some of, these, some of these people who mislead children into ultimately sin, guess what? It'd be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck, Jesus says this, and thrown into the sea. A millstone, this millstone, what are you talking about, the great stone? It was a, a grinding wheels that donkeys moved around. It, it was impossible to escape. It was tons and tons and tons. And he said, it'd be better if they had that consequence when you mislead people by my word. So he's saying, hey, listen, first of all, let's not mislead each other. Let's, let's stay true to scripture and let's not weaponize it for our own bias, gain, whatever reason, but let's be honorable to the word. The second thing he's going to ask is, do you understand the power of words? And this is where he's going to use some very simple analogies that seem like, uh, yeah, of course, but they're, they're powerful. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now, meaning that none of us probably will ever reach perfection, but he's talking about Jesus here. The Bible says that Jesus in, in, in speech and action was perfect. So he says he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies, right? He's kind of laying up like, man, this gigantic muscular body of a horse can be controlled by a small little bit in their mouth like your tongue. Look at ships also. Though they have a large, they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs them. So also the tongue is a, mem is a small member, yet it boasts such great things. The question he's having them ask is, do you realize the power of the tongue that directs your entire course of life? And, it, and, and ultimately he'll get to, it's a reflection of who you are on the inside, and it also reveals what you believe. But he's going to ask this question, who's pulling the reins in your life? Is it just an emotional response and we get triggered and we go off, off, off page and then we just react? And who's pulling the reins? What is pulling the reins in your life? Who's captaining the ship when it comes to how we speak? You can only ask for forgiveness when you misspeak, but, but, but the word's in the atmosphere and we have to be careful and he's warning them, listen, if you're not in control or if God's not in control, who's in control? What is driving the words out of your mouth? Uh, the other question he's going to ask here is, do you know the destruction of words? It's destructive power when a word comes out. How, he says this, how great a force is set ablaze by a small fire. 
You know, Chad's over right now uh, with a bunch of leaders, and they're, and they're facilitating youth ministry uh, uh, for high school junior hires. When, I, when I, they were in there, when I was over there, I just remember how fun youth ministry is. Like, I was like, they're, they're cooking pancakes over there, okay? They're all eating breakfast over there, and they're going to hang out, have fun, play a few games, study the word, and then connect. Like, can you imagine a better day? I loved youth ministry for that reason. The end of the, 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 when youth ministry changed for me was when I had actually, through my fun, having a lot of fun with students, and I think one of the guys might even be here when this happened when I was living in Texas, is I had um, decided to light mortars on fire, like big, like the ones that shoot up in the air. But I, I had thought that this one was just one of those kind of concussion type of ones. Like, I didn't realize it was one that actually had, like, the beautiful stars. And, and I buried it in the ground in West Texas, and I didn't understand West Texas climate. I had just moved to the church. I buried it in the ground. I was like, let's just explode this. And they were there. And then I had exploded it, and then I didn't realize it was one of those fireworks, and it caught this field behind me on fire. No, uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's, it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> And we tried to put it out. We were responsible. We had blankets and we had hoses. Right, Garrett? That was the right thing to do, right? He's a fireman. So we, we were prepared. And it didn't matter. The wind kicked up. It was dry. I didn't understand dry seasons. I had only lived in Michigan and Seattle. And, you know, like it just wasn't it was wet. And I, then I was burning. It was on my way to burn. It's on its way to burn down my kids' school. So it was on its way. Helicopters are overhead. Yeah. I had just taken the job there. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'm on the news. And I remember it was just a small thing. And I kept thinking to myself, how could this small thing do this? Like, how, how could this have happened? Why is it just going crazy? Why won't the wind stop? And uh, I was real, real, real nervous. And thankfully, uh, the police officer and the fireman went to the church and said, are you the new youth guy? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we can't let you get fired. So we're, I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I did get my rights right to me, though. So anyways, it was one of these things that was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I didn't realize something could get so out of control. Our words can get out of control. And this is what James is saying. You can say one thing about somebody, and then pretty soon opinion starts shaping about that person, and it gets out of control. You can say something to somebody that festers and festers and festers, and pretty soon it's blazing in their life. Because it got out of control. And James is warning us against this. He goes on to say, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst the members, staining the whole body, setting the fire, uh, uh, the fire, the entire course of life, and setting on fire by hell. Listen to what he says in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. And here we go. This is when you know you cannot do it on your own. This is when you know you cannot white-knuckle it. But no human can tame the tongue. It is restless, it is restless evil and full of deadly poison. Only God can tame the tongue. And I know it's like, oh, okay, so wow. He makes it sound like our speech is, can, is really bad. No, our speech can bring life or it can bring death. It can elevate somebody or, 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 or bring them into a pit. And every interaction matters, believe it or not. 
every interaction that we have, funneling it through this filter of, am I going to bring life or is this going to bring death? And a lot of times we have to die to ourselves to not say it. Die to ourselves that we need to communicate this thing or share this gossip or slander this person or, or you name it, curse this person even. It's, a, it's incredible. God isn't looking for Christians, though. I just got to be honest with you. Uh, I've I met a couple of people like that. I used to do this until a boss pointed it out to me in a meeting. And uh, I don't know if you're like this. Uh, I would hold my tongue, but everything in me was telling you, I do not agree with what you're saying. Do, do you know this? So they'd be saying something. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was being a good boy. I'm holding my tongue. I want to tell you what I think of you right now. But I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my, bo- my boss, he's such a great pastor. He just stopped me one day and he said, can you just stop right now? Can you just speak what's on your face? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, uh, no. He goes, no, clearly you have something to say. You're saying it with everything else but your words. Why don't you use your words? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I, was, I have a problem with what's happening. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like just because I was holding it back and white knuckling it doesn't mean that the, it was reflecting what was on the inside of my heart, that I couldn't control these thoughts. And they were not nice and they were negative and it hurt our meeting when I said it. It matters how we condition our heart for our mouth to speak. And he asked this other question, and this is probably the biggest part of the whole, of, of the whole section. Are you a contradiction? And this one's probably the most convicting to me. Listen to what he says. With it, our tongue, our words, we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Ah. <sighs> We were just singing. I told Jess, I said, Jess, I want you to pick all the songs that are the most glorifying to God that you can so I can point to it and say, we sang all these songs. We talked about how great his name is. We praised how amazing Jesus is. We glorify God together in the highest. And James is saying, how can you do that and then go out and curse his creation? People in his likeness. That's not bringing glory to God to do that. He's saying, you're, you have a contradiction going on. Your words are not reflecting what's in your heart. And that's problematic for God. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers. And this is the only time he does this. this these things ought not be so. What is happening here? How can we trash our fellow brother and sister in Christ, but yet glorify God, but that's the created image of God? How can we see somebody who's struggling and down and hurting, curse them, but then praise God, the very, the very person God's placed in your path to help bring salvation to? And this is convicting, and this is hard. We sang all these great songs today, but how do we, what, what do we say about his creation? How do we treat his creation? I just got good news and bad news for you. Your praise to God doesn't end at Clark Street when we pull out. <laughs> I was my greatest nightmare. I was pulling into church, and somebody from our church was in front of me. I don't know if he's here. Uh, and I didn't know it was him. And, but uh, I have a real rule. Like, I'll count to three at a green arrow, but if you don't go, I'm going to educate you with my horn. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, Ryan, don't do this so close to church. It's going to be somebody. 
And then it, it was a guy who could handle it. And I said, I just gave you a couple taps, like beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Not normally how I want to do it. It's a straight, I'm going to hold this until you go. So I saw him. I was like, I, I was deep in, and I just, you know, I, it's kind of my thing. And he's like, no, 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 you're fine. I knew it was you. And I was like, well, why didn't you go? I, I'm trying to get to church. But it's like, it, there's this thing I have to remind myself, Ryan, it doesn't happen here. We don't just glorify God here, pull out of here, and next thing you know, that guy's an idiot when we're driving, and we're saying this, and we're talking this way, and then we get home, and we treat our family a certain way, but yet we glorify God. It should not be so. 1 John 4, 7, Jesus, uh, John writes about this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And we all, we will say this, like, we know God, I'm born of God, and I know him. But you got to listen to what he says in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's not lying about hating his brother. He's lying about something else. And he says this, he goes, he's a liar. And if, if, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has, um, or sorry, who he has Seeing cannot love God for who he has not seen. Meaning that you have this person in front of you, God's literal creation in front of you, and you can hate that but love a God you haven't really seen with your eyes. He says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's, 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 it's reflective of what's on the inside of our heart. How much do we love God? Because then we'll love his creation because it's his. And the last question he's going to ask is where is your heart at? This is what's going to come out of this section. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt? And it's a big deal because like, you, you, you know this doesn't happen. You can't have a spring that pours forth both that's usable. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grape vine produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, meaning this, is that are you water that is sweet and drinkable, or are you not? You cannot be producing bitterness one day and sweetness the next. He's saying, let's, let's be one thing, and that is to be a loving, caring follower of Jesus. Jesus kind of uses similar imagery. In Luke 6, 43, this will be my last verse. For no good tree, Jesus says, bears bad fruit. Nor, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Meaning this, when, when, you, when you want to evaluate yourself, you can evaluate yourself. James is teaching us how to do this all throughout it. How am I in this situation, persecution? Do I blame God or do I say, God, I'm going to trust you more, right? This is the type of things he's asking us to evaluate. He's asking them to evaluate how they see other people. And if they see people with bias, then that doesn't belong in the church and nor should it ever. Or favoritism or things like that. And now he's asking us this. I need you to evaluate the kind of tree you are. Because if you say you are a Christian and you are not bearing the fruits of the Spirit or in your speech, then you have to evaluate. What's going on there? Ask God for help. If you struggle with taming the tongue, ask God because he's the only one who can do it. I get it why you can't. 
I can't either. We have to ask God to help us. But it matters the kind of fruit we're producing. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of their heart essentially produces evil. Now, this is the close all statement Jesus makes. For out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. And that what is in your heart? What are we allowing in our heart? Are we letting bitterness sit in there? and grow in our heart? Are we letting unforgiveness happen and grow in our heart? Are we letting biases happen or a they and them in a judgment? Are we, what are we letting happen there? What are we feeding ourselves with? I'm not going to lie. The moment I stopped watching the news, this is the moment I stopped caring about a lot of things I shouldn't have been caring about. What are we allowing in our heart? What is, what is it manifesting in our life? And how is it for the greater glory of God? We have to ask this question where is your heart at? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God is calling us, hey, don't be double-minded. Be, be one or the other. Don't pretend to be a fig tree and, and, and produce grapes. It's pretty simple, but it's real strong. Can you guys bow your heads and we'll start to close? I have a couple questions for you. One, you, you should think about. I have to think about this myself. One, am I a contradiction? If I was brought on trial as to prove whether I was a Christian by my words, would I, would, I, would I be convicted? Or am I too careless with my words? Do I not think that it is powerful? Although we must remember that God created the universe with his words. What an example for us. He created the universe with his words. There's power in words. God gave us human beings the ability to communicate with speech and word and writing. And so it's a great gift. And how do we honor God with it? Or do we dishonor God? A question we should ask is, do I uplift? Do I encourage do I sow kindness? Do I abstain from harshness and slander or gossip, backstabbing or division? Do I speak life? Am I seeking humility before I open my mouth? Do I honor God and, and do I bless his creation at the same time? You know, it's like I said earlier, you're reborn. And the kingdom language is different. Your God's family's language is different. We relearn how we value words and how we communicate to his creation. We learn these things. We shouldn't be talking how we did, thinking how we did before we were Christian as a Christian. We must be learning how to be more like Christ. And the one thing I can tell you, I, I can't tell you anything other than what James says and how to help this. You've got to ask God. Have him fill the abundance of your heart so your mouth can speak differently. Fill your heart in life. Read those Proverbs and take them to heart. Right? Put away things that are polluting your mind and heart. If there's bitterness, begin to ask God to take it from you. If you're arrogant and it's okay to admit it, 
Say, God, humble my heart because I'm arrogant and I won't learn. But he will be the one who can help you tame your tongue. No one else will. And you can try all you want. But he will do it. You have to invite him in to help you see it and to help you do it. God, we love you and we thank you for your word, for James, God. Help this that, that text sink deeply into our heart and let it begin to grow great fruit that brings healing to our relationships, God, that brings healing to some family members, that brings healing to people in our community around us, God, that we become someone who just is eager to elevate and encourage and not tear down, God, because we're filling ourselves with you. And that's the God you are. So let us walk more like you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this last song?